Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of After Hours. No default, just Luby here on the Believe Network. Today, we're honored and privileged to be joined by a fellow Believe member. This gentleman hosts Believe in Sports Law podcast with Jeremy Evans. He also is CEO of Cali Sports, Sports Lawyer. The one and only Jeremy M. Evans joins us today here on After Hours. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Jeremy. How you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. A pleasure to be with you this morning. Appreciate a fellow believer joining us today. All right. Never a dull day when it comes to the world of sports, let alone if you're a sports attorney. Um, you do your own podcast each and every day, so uh, or regularly at least, so I'm sure it definitely gives you a lot of fodder. I definitely uh, would like to talk about NIL and stuff like that, but I saw that you, you, you are open to talking about the Deshaun Watson um Saga, I don't even know the best for debacles, the Deshaun Watson uh, cases. Um, we now have a 23rd uh, civil suit that has been brought, or a 23rd person that's joining the civil suit cases against Deshaun Watson. Yet Deshaun Watson just got an over $200 million deal to be the Cleveland Browns quarterback, and we've heard of no penalties so far from the NFL when it comes to Deshaun Watson. As a sports attorney, how are you taking in the entire Deshaun Watson thing that has been the last couple of years surrounding Deshaun Watson. No, you know, again, thanks for having me on. And it's such an important question, of course. And, and I, you know, I think from a, from a legal standpoint, I really look at it in, you know, maybe three different scenarios. And the first is the sort of administrative law aspect or what you might call private association law or, um, you know, labor, you know, labor law and the collective bargaining agreement. And under that one, you know, the NFL has not signaled at this point that they're going to be disciplining him. Um, I'm sure that they've done their, their own investigation or maybe they're currently doing their own investigation. Uh, and of course that will determine whether, uh, you know, he's, you know, disciplined or whatever happens there. And then on the other side is, the civil stuff, which is of course where these 23 cases are coming from, and you know that'll either go to court or settle. Um, I would imagine uh, that with Deshaun being, you know, a busy, uh, a busy football player with the team, that his lawyers would probably encourage him to settle those cases, depending on the amount, and just to move uh, to move on if if indeed those folks are willing to settle. Um, and then the third piece would be any sort of criminal charges, but again, that's in this circumstance, it's probably unlikely. Uh, the district attorney and the the local authorities, um, you know, I'm sure have probably done their investigation or uh, have felt that those allegations have not, you know, rise to the level of a crime. But that's kind of where it sits for him. Um, but to me, I would be I would be somewhat surprised if the Browns organization did not do its own due diligence in researching some of these things. And, you know, I don't know, I guess for me, like I just, I base a lot of my decisions on history and I would, I would hope that the, the team would do the same thing. 
particularly in regards when you compare this to, let's say, Deflategate, <clears throat> which of course is a completely different situation in terms of allegations, but uh, or, or even the Ray Rice situation, which is maybe more more applicable in that you know the biggest lesson learned there for the NFL was if you're going to discipline somebody, discipline them right the first time and get it done. Uh, at this point, the NFL has not disciplined Deshaun Watson. Um, and um, so we'll sort of see, you know, where, where this goes. But I think the NFL has definitely learned its lesson on it. Can't, even though it's a, it's a sort of civil administrative context, it should probably stay away from these sort of double jeopardy issues. Well, and that's the thing, Jeremy, that I'm, sort of been confused about this whole thing. You actually said it, and that's been the NFL's issue is, especially what he writes, they went too small, and then they went bigger, they go too big. With Ben Rosberger, they go too big, and then they go smaller. Like, what can... What's, okay, I, you're a lawyer, but I'm sure you're a fan, and you're also a human. What can they really do when... Uh, and what should they do, right? Because this is a legal matter. It's civil as of yet. It's not criminal, what should they really do? Should they just allow, especially PR from a PR standpoint, they can just say, look, the courts are handling it, you know, and whether that's, that's you know, the most mature, responsible thing to do, a lot of the time business isn't always mature, responsible, or moral. It's just about what's going to get you in the least amount of guff. Like, what should they do when the courts have handled this this whole time and really haven't done anything yet? Right. That's such a good question. And I think... You know, for me, I like to compare the different leagues and how they handle situations. Yeah, and true. you know, I'm I, I don't I don't think we need to recreate the wheel here. And I think yeah. we can look around our sports and go, okay, um, what did you know? How did baseball, for example, handle Trevor Bauer versus how is football handling Deshaun Watson? And you know, with Bauer, you can say, okay, from a numbers you know perspective, Bauer had an allegation of one you know one woman saying that he had done X, Y, and Z and that was investigated. There was no criminal charges brought. There was no civil charges brought. And um, I would say it was somewhat inconclusive as to what Major League Baseball found in their investigation. Other than that, they disciplined him, I think, for I think it was an entire season or two seasons. I think it was an entire season. And of course, the Dodgers did not allow him to play once those allegations came out. So um, versus what's happening now, which is, you know, Deshaun Watson and the NFL signed, you know, the largest contract, I think, in history, um, or one of the largest contracts. And then now he's, you know, it looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback for them. So it's not to say that the NFL is bad or I don't want to make that sort of judgment call. It's just that I think the, the, the issue here, I think, is just the way the leagues are structured and what the policies are. And, now, again, if I, if I was a commissioner yeah. of the NFL, um, I would definitely have been uh, a little more public about, you know, making a statement as to, you know, this is what we're doing. We're investigating this. We've investigated this. We've cleared them from our side and we'll let the courts figure out. Um, I mean, that to me would probably be the best path forward because I think in this country, what we've gotten away from, which is really unfortunate, is that, you know, you have court cases to prove a certain thing. Yeah. But unfortunately, with social media, or unprove a certain thing, you have social media and public opinion that seem to drive league decisions more than, you know, what the actual law and the facts are. Mm. 
Well, yeah, well, yeah. That, the court of public opinion. Look, you're supposed to be innocent. You're a lawyer. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. That's what you're supposed to be. <laughs> right. But the court of public opinion, you're automatically guilty, and hopefully, maybe you'll be innocent. And and, and it seems to. It's not supposed to sway the way. It's so funny because it's not so, like coaches, people inside of sports always say the, the fans mean nothing. But then you'll see the commissioner literally change suit depending on what the fans say. So it's just funny that the group that's supposed to not matter seems to matter a lot more than we think they do. It's just interesting to me because uh, you have Rusty Harden, I get it, he's the, the attorney, and he's been the attorney of sports stars before, coming out, you know, vic- going after the victims. But again, and I get, get it, you're a lawyer, so that's why I like talking to lawyers about these things. I'm a guy who's been a big fan of the law, thought about dabbling in it, and then never got into it, because you guys are a lot more dedicated than I was when it came to it. But, like... The multitude of people coming out, like what to me as a lay person, that has to mean something. The fact that Watson didn't play has to mean something. But then the Browns go and give him this big deal, and you would think they're not giving him that big deal if they don't know or feel something. Like, how what does do you think this means? The NFL you said hasn't they should have reacted quicker and they haven't. Like, do you think at some point this will just magically go away and we will see the Deshaun Watson we saw before? Because it feels like that's what the Browns are thinking. It just seems really tough to see this number of suits against a human being and see nothing happen with his career at all. Yeah, it's very tough because I think even from a personal standpoint, if you personalize it to yeah. Deshaun Watson's camp, you know that in any time you have any allegations against you, it's going to be a tough situation. I mean, that's got to weigh heavily on the guy. Yeah, yeah. In the sense of, just being regardless of how you feel about him, right, right, it's got to have an effect on him. Um, you know, obviously, <clears throat> the volume amount is concerning because you know you're like, okay, twenty three cases, but you know, I don't know if the best strategy in these cases is to attack the victims. I think at the end of the day, you defend your client zealously. Yes. I mean, that's supposed to be, you know, your role. And I think you do that in a respectful manner. And I'm not, you know, demeaning that other, the other attorney. I'm just saying if I was handling the case, which I'm not a litigator, but yeah. if I was, I'm a transactional guy, but if I was, it would be very much, this is what my client's character is. This is what his history is. He's never had these allegations against him before. You know, that's how I would be defending it. And you do your best job, you know, to do that. And, you know, so I, again, I don't think, again, I think the NFL uh, probably could have done a better job of managing this from a PR standpoint, or at least just from a, a transparency standpoint of being open and honest and saying, this is what we're doing. But, I think a part of it for the Browns, and I hate to say this, but I think it's the truth, is just that sometimes these are business decisions in the sense that, you know, the the NFL is in the business of winning, or the teams are in the business of winning football games, winning championships, or at least attempting to, and and to make money. Yeah. And so from a business perspective, I would assume they had done their research, they had, you know, looked into it, you know, they had interviewed him, you know, Deshaun, and then had decided, okay, well, what's the risk that we take here if the NFL disciplines him? And I'm sure they looked at other cases, they looked at other situations, and they said, okay, well, you know, if we think that this guy is a good person based on our analysis, and if we think these cases are not 
truthful, then let's move forward. But, you know, potentially that's a big risk, you know, to your point, because, you know, if this guy gets a, you know, if he gets a huge, you know, a year long suspension or, I mean, obviously that could affect the Browns. And, and of course, from a team, you know, dynamic standpoint, it affects the Browns because they have, they indeed have another quarterback on their roster, um, you know, who was pretty upset that they had signed him. So, Mr. Baker Mayfield. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's the thing, Jeremy. And this is uh, Jeremy Evans, Jeremy M. Evans. He is the host of the Believe in Sports Law podcast. You can follow him up on Twitter at Jeremy M. Evans Esquire. He's the host and executive producer of his podcast. Also, CEO for Cali Sports Lawyer. And you can find them at CA Sports Lawyer. Uh, Want to move on to the world of college football as you talk about you're a transactional guy. Well, the college football world, when it comes to transactions, seem to be more busy than any NFL free agency period. Um, you've seen two of the biggest titans in the game, both two of the, the I guess, four coaches that have won titles the last 20 years, Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban going at it. You've seen Kirby Smart throw his two cents. You've, seen Dab- you've heard and seen Dabo Swinney, another titan in the game, throw his two, five, ten cents about NIL. Okay, so here's where it comes down to me, and I get it. It it obviously is going to ruin college football. Like, duh. What we thought of college football, now the players have the power and the coaches don't, and they're bitter and they're they're annoyed because they can't just treat the players like cattle anymore. I mean, that's what's, to me, what's happening from the coach's perspective. But as a guy who deals with, I'm sure, labor and people getting paid and making money, as a guy who's watched the athlete get taken advantage of, for a hundred years, however long college football has been, especially the last forty years since it's become really big business, I say so. You know, when people are like, "Well, it's going to ruin college football," it will. And like the NCAA should have been proactive about getting these kids paid. They weren't, and legal institutions said, "Okay, we're going to make this a thing, and kids cannot get paid." You were late to the party, NCAA and college institutions. Now deal with it. Like, as a lawyer, when you hear NIO, when you see what's going on with it, what are your thoughts on just how it's affecting college football and, you know, where its place is now and into the future? Sure. No, and that's uh, such an important topic and, and, uh, and, a, and, a, and a great question. So I think, number one, for me, when I think of NIL and what I was sort of hoping that would happen with the system, is that NIL would be portrayed in its purest form. Meaning that when I think of NIL, I think of brand reaches out to talent, entertainer, athlete, whatever the person is, celebrity, doesn't matter, comedian. And they say, please endorse our product and we will pay you one of three things or a combination of the following things. Money, equity in the company, product. And then that person in exchange posts something on social media for a period of time, they do a commercial, yeah. they show up at an event. Promote, yeah. That, from the NIL, I thought this is perfect for college sports because it's not connected to the teams. It's not connected to the conferences. It's just these are the deals that these folks broker on their own, which, by the way, is a great way to practice for them. Yes. You're talking about doing business deals. You're hiring an agent. You're hiring a lawyer. You're doing all these things. If that was the case, we wouldn't, I mean, we'd be like, this is great. Everybody wins. But unfortunately, what's happened with the NIL landscape is that it's somewhat like the Wild West. I mean, 
you Not have somewhat. <laughs> it is <laughs> right, right, right. And you've got like fifty different state laws potentially. Not that many states have passed these laws, but um, again, when you're talking about NIL, it comes from right to publicity. So those laws already existed on the book. They already had court cases that talked about people being able to profit off their name and name, image, and likeness. It was just the NCAA had restricted it. So when these states came along and passed laws, particularly California, which was the first to do it, it opened up that door. And then, of course, now NCAA is like, oh, well, we have to, you know, ultimately we can't fight this fight anymore. Let's just, you know, open the doors. And I don't think, you know, they've done the greatest job of setting down the rules or, or you know, putting the right compliance, you know, you know, measures in place. So to me, in my mind, the future has to be more regulation and compliance and putting resources to that. I mean, for example, you know, the IRS collects taxes, right? And they do compliance with regard to that. Well, they wouldn't be effective unless they had IRS agents out there collecting or or they had penalties or what have you. And of course, that's what the NCAA and the conferences need to be doing. And if they're not doing that, we're going to continue down this path of, you know, how does NIL work with recruiting? How does NIL work with boosters and collectives? And, you know, to give you the perfect example, and I'll, I'll stop talking, is uh, this idea of, um, you know, this uh, quarterback at the University of Martin at Tennessee yep. who signed an NIL deal to endorse a political candidate. I mean, that should not be happening. What? I mean, it, it's innovative. I'll give, you know, I'll give credit for that, but, you know, to me, there needs to be guardrails. There needs to be limitations. And um, the other example I'll give is um, with regard to California. They're not considering a piece of legislation that would give uh, every student athlete in California $25,000 per year. And they would give them a percentage of the revenue uh, once they graduate or graduate from the institution. Um, and it would be essentially a 50% split of the revenues that come into the team. Um, I don't know if that's the right path. Uh, I think that's moving more and more towards, you know, a professional league and, and yeah. paying players directly. <clears throat> and then, of course, and then now, of course, to Saban's point and, and that I think he was making, and by the way, I think Saban and Fisher are both correct. I mean, yeah, they're, they're I think they're both saying the same thing. Yeah, right. They're just basically saying this system's a mess, but we I follow the rules and yeah. here's what it is. But, in a joking way, it's almost like we need to put a salary cap on on the NCAA uh, or on the individual universities because you're going to continue to have the have and have not if yes. there's no regulation there. Yeah. Well, and that's the, the two the two interesting things, and uh, you don't have to stop talking when you wanted to silence yourself. I'm actually interested in what you're saying because you're saying it from a more technical standpoint. A lot of us bitch and moan and lament. You're saying it from having a clue. So I actually take what you're saying a lot with a lot more weight than what I would say. But I do find it funny when people are like, this is leveling the field. First of all, Alabama supposedly didn't even do it, which I think they did just in their own way. Still had the second best class in the country and still by leaps and bounds is better than A&M. And we still have the same four or five teams contending for the top four. So those are like, it's leveling it. It's not leveling anything. Just some of the smaller schools, quote unquote, got a head start. But Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, uh, USC, Texas, Whoever, whoever, uh, Ohio, Ohio State, sorry, will figure it out, and then they'll get right back to the top. I mean, they, they were spending the money before. They're not going to not spend it now. So I, I think the leveling the playing field's a load of garbage. That's not what it's doing. It's going to, the chasm's going to be bigger between the haves and the have-nots. 
But what I find, in, the interesting thing is, yes, it's the Wild West. Yes, obviously, I want the kids to get paid. Is it this way? No. Well, you said exactly what it was supposed to be. And I think we all, if we put our naivete aside, realize in time it was going to become this. But it was supposed to take time before they used. It was not supposed to be for recruiting. It was just supposed to be to pay the kids that you had there. And eventually they'd get here. But Deion Sanders sort of, or whoever you want to blame it on, Jimbo, Texas, sort of sped it up a little bit because the laws were wide open where they were. So they took advantage of the system or whatever the hell you call it. Obviously, it needs to be reined in. But from what we know, this isn't an NCAA thing. And the NCAA really doesn't have jurisdiction. Now, you might know more than I do. I hope you know more than I do. How can they rein it in? I'd love for there to be more of a system where we get our college football to be different than the NFL, but the kids get to get paid. How do they do that? Because, again, this isn't an... What governing body will institute a cap? What governing body will institute rules? Because right now, from what I know, this isn't the NCAA's place. Right. No, that's such a good question. I'll say this. I think the NCAA does have jurisdiction, and I think the problem is is that they have not... um, they have not implemented it from from a standpoint that I think is to the liking of of at least from from my point of view, you know they they should have had a more active role to begin with number one, which is which means that they probably should have been the one introducing the system yes. of NIL yes. versus state laws doing it. That being said, that didn't happen. So here we are. Yeah. How can they change it? Well, all of these uh, universities are member institutions of the NCAA, so they. They choose to be a member of the NCAA, so they have to follow the NCAA rules. This would be like if you and me go join a country club, we have to follow the rules of the country club. Yes. And if you don't follow, you get kicked out. And, of course, that has huge implications, particularly in college basketball, because then you can't play in the tournament. And if you're not a part of the NCAA, you're probably not going to be able to uh, play against you know the other schools. And it probably would jeopardize your ability to be a school inside of a conference because those conferences are tied to the NCAA. And so obviously there's been more authority going back to the conferences and to the teams individually, uh, namely in their ability to sign television contracts and their ability to govern themselves, particularly the power five. But to me, in my mind, the Congress is not going to pass. And my, I just, this is just my guess, but I don't think Congress is going to pass federal law in any region like this. Uh, that 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 law would be litigated all across the state at least 50 times uh, because no state is, you know, again, we live in a constitutional republic. So the yeah. states have states' rights. We're a very limited federal government, uh, although that may not seem like the case sometimes, but uh, that's, that's supposed to be the way that it's set up. And Congress is not going to pass a contractual law that applies to 50 states. They might do it for um, you know, I'm trying to think of an example, the health mandate or other things, but even that was litigated and, 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 and torn down in many different ways. So the, the players in this are the NCAA and the conferences. It is their job and, and their responsibility to really set the rules, particularly the NCAA. And my guess is, is that sometime in July, we might hear something because that'll be the year anniversary of NIL. And they'll use July and the summertime to build up to the fall coming into football to really set the rules. Because I, I, in some sense, they probably wanted to see what would happen. Um, but then they also, I think, are 
from a management standpoint, NCAA is kind of in a tough position because, you know, they're, they're the president, Mark Emmerich, is leaving. Yep. You know, they're kind of in a transition period. They're trying to figure out what their, you know, what their role is. But in my mind, it's the NCAA and it's the conferences and the schools that need to do the work of regulating themselves, setting national standards or at least minimum standards um, to, to abide by. Well, yeah, and, that, I mean, in, and we've heard more and more about the conferences and the SEC's trying real hard to make a super-duper-duper conference and get rid of all the conferences, and a lot of people think that's where it's going is we're seeing the NCAA have less and less power. The conferences themselves will legislate. Look, I, I actually don't care who has the power. I've never been a big fan of the NCAA. You, you sort of said it. This was sitting there for them to do, and they did nothing. And now it's interesting to know that they have jurisdiction and are still doing nothing. I the way they're acting, you, I thought they had no jurisdiction because of their inaction. But it feels like the conferences at some point, as much as you, for the SEC, it's great to have Alabama run things. You can see what this is doing. And if these coaches really do care and they do have all the power, at some point, I'd hope, I guess, that the conferences don't try to get rid of this because the kids needed to get paid, but try to make up their own rules to hone it in. Before we get going, uh, sports lawyer Jem- Jeremy M. Evans, host of Believe in Sports Law Podcast. Follow him on Twitter, at Jeremy Evans ESQ. Also the CEO of Cali Sports Lawyer, at CA Sports Lawyer. Uh, what do you got going on with your podcast? Uh, we know people can find it. It is on the Believe Network where you can find us, BLEAV.com. But what do you got going uh, coming up on uh, the Believe in Sports Law Podcast, Mr. Jeremy M. Evans? No, thank you so much Ian, for having me on. And, you know, by the way, um, you not becoming a lawyer, I think, says a lot about um, the great intelligence that you have in the <laughs> sense that, you know, like it, 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 it's one of those things like, hey, I got to say, um, you know, figuring out like what you like and what you don't like is like one of the biggest like things okay. in life. And, 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 and the fact that I'm just glad that you went your passion and you're good at what you do. And you did that because it would be a travesty if you're like, oh, I became a lawyer and I can't stand it, yeah. you know? Yep. So, um, so applause to you on that. And, and you're a very intelligent guy, you know, if I can say so. And, I appreciate you know, it. Chat with you. <laughs> I don't know if my wife would yeah. say that, but I appreciate and, you saying that. <laughs> well, sorry, you can play this back to her and tell her that a lawyer told me that I was very intelligent. Thanks, Jeff. Um, so, of course, brother. And uh, so, you know, I, I think to me, uh, on, on the podcast, you know, I really set it out to be a great platform to to just have conversations, to create great content. And I figured if I create great content, people will come. And I, and I think what I've done is, you know, when when I'm when I'm on the podcast by myself, I'm, I'm really just focusing on a trend or something going on in the streaming world or entertainment world or sports world, trying to find trends, trying to find you know, different things that are happening. Um, and then when I have people on, it's mostly just to have conversations like we're doing and just to hear about their story. And so for the last few weeks, uh, let's see, uh, next week I'll have on um, uh, two, uh, two very well-known sports agents, one, one guy who's just iconic in the baseball world. And then, um, this, and then of course, the week after that, I'll have on somebody, uh, uh, an executive with the Pac-12 conference. Nice. Um, and then, and then this week I had on, uh, vice president of legal affairs for the Oklahoma city thunder. 
Executive Vice President of Legal Affairs for uh, Cronky Sports Entertainment based out of Denver. Wow. And then uh, the head of legal for a gaming company. And then um, um, a friend of mine who runs a sneaker and streetwear legal services uh, law firm. So just a very sort of um, iconic and sort of dynamic group. But that's what I just try to do. I try to tell stories. I try to have fun with it. And, and you know, to your, you know, I'm sure you're the same way. You're just passionate about it. You just do it. You put it out there. And if people enjoy it, they enjoy it. And if not, you created something cool. So that's the way I look at it. Well, I've been underestimating you because as a guy who's been a producer for over 12 years, uh, there's a reason why you call yourself a host and executive producer. The guests you're getting are freaking astounding. So I may have to pick your brain as a producer as well as a guest because that I'm like, Jesus, look at him. I, I, I mean, I do a decent job as a producer, but look, he's doing pretty damn well getting on like executives and Scott Boris, either Scott Boris himself or Scott Boris-esque agents. I mean, pretty damn good for a guy who is a sports attorney by day and hosts of the Ding Podcast. So uh, appreciate you finding time to join us, Jeremy. And uh, you've opened the floodgates because now I know who, whenever we have a sports legal matter, who I'm running to, Jeremy F. M. Jeremy M. Evans, find him right here. The Believe Network, Believe, B-L-E-A-V.com. Of course, you can find him uh, wherever you find your podcast. Believe in Sports Law Podcast. He is the host and executive producer. With a guest list like that, he deserves and he's earned that credit. Jeremy, and again, follow him at... Jeremy M. Evans, ESQ, and we're his firm CEO of Cali Sports Lawyer, at CA Sports Lawyer. Jeremy, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking to you, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future, my friend. Anytime, my friend. Thanks again for having me on. All right, be well. All righty, well, you learn a new, something new each and every day. <laughs> this dude is a sports, and I think I work hard. I, I guess I'm not because he's a sports attorney, so that should take up his entire job, his entire life. He now does a podcast where he's a host and the executive producer, and it's his. Or at least I share this with Defoe. I'm the producer. I pr- get all the guests and stuff, but I do it with him. I have someone most most days. He is a sports attorney, and my and this is my job. It's not his job. He's a sports attorney, which is a more than a full time job. He has his own sports law practice. I mean, he's literally the CEO, and he does a podcast where he's getting top-notch guests, too, and he's doing it. So maybe you're right, babe. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm not working as hard as I thought I was. I did enjoy that conversation. He did add a lot to the conversation. So uh, Jeremy M. Evans, check out Believe in Sports Law podcast. That will do it. Defoe is still out doing his Italy thing, but you do have the NBA Finals tonight talking about sports. You have the NBA Finals tonight, the Celtics and the Warriors. I've been on... It's not the bandwagon. The funny thing is the last few years when they had Durant and that made me sick to my stomach, I I rooted, quote unquote, against the Warriors. So I'm not on their bandwagon. I think they're, they've been the best team of the playoffs. And where other teams have been banged up and bruised, they were that all year and they're getting, not getting, they're healthy now. Outside of some bench guys, Gary Payton Jr. and Otto Porter Jr., who they are supposed to get back in the finals, Clay's, if not himself, been better. Draymond, better. Steph, even if he's not himself, better. Jordan Poole, Wiggins have played really well. Kaminga, like, you may get a good alibi. All these guys are just getting better. So, uh, to me, it's, I think it's a five-game series. But, look, the Celtics, I'm, I don't want to underestimate them. I just know they've been to back-to-back seven-game series. We're a shot away from losing to a Heat team that was decimated by injuries, including their best player. And 
they are really only playing seven guys, where the Warriors are playing a ton of guys and may play more. So it's just logically, this, the Warriors are better everywhere. So I, I think the Warriors will win in five. If I would look, I was betting. We do a lot of gambling on here. Believe is embraced. We've been doing gambling for oh, default for like 30 years on air. We as a show for over 12. Believe's all in when it comes to the degenerate gambling world, sports gambling world, sports wagering world. If I was gambling, I'd say he, I'd say Warriors in six. That's what I would say. But I do feel like the Warriors may win in five. We shall see tonight, 9 o'clock ABC. And each and every day right here uh, after hours. But you can check us out each and every morning. We do a live show, video, audio. Google The Defoe Show, D-E-F-O. We have South Florida content. If you are, know us from South Florida or like South Florida sports. Five Reasons, The Five Reasons Sports Network. They have a website, but also YouTube is where you find us. Five Reasons Sports Network, The Defoe Show with Luby. And right here each and every day, the After Hours with Defoe and Luby on the Believe Network. Like Defoe likes to say, yeah, the Heater are done, so our South, the Panthers, South Florida sports scene's a little slow. But you got the finals tonight. We haven't had a great NBA playoffs, but you never know. In life, you got to believe. Hey folks, Tony Segreto here. Let me ask you a question. What do you look for when you go out to eat? Good food, obviously. Friendly atmosphere, not too loud, but good energy, reasonable prices, and a place where you feel comfortable. All those ingredients, (laughs) no pun meant there, are hard to find unless you're talking about the Texas Roadhouse. You see, they encompass all of those attributes. Really, really good food. Amazing atmosphere. Good for a family. Good for a date or just a night out for yourself. And prices that will make you extremely happy. Their ribs unmatched. Steaks, hand cut every day. Everything, and I mean everything, is made on site, including their incredible bread. It's the one day, folks, that you can forget about low-carb diets. Trust me when I tell you, Texas Roadhouse, your restaurant, your destination, when you say, where should we go and eat tonight? Recently, we realized it's not just hurricane season that can hurt us. Any time of year, things can happen to your home or business. And the insurance company can be your friend, but they also can be your enemy. Horizon Public Adjusters, Justina Testa, are here for you to help this process go so much easier. Before you call the insurance company, call Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa at 954-809-8752. Would you go into court without an attorney? So why would you go up against an insurance company without Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa? Seven to ten times more money recovered with a public adjuster than if you went on your own. If there's no recovery, there's no fee, give them a call at 954 809 8752. Why go up against insurance companies alone when you can have Horizon Public Adjusters and Justina Testa on your side? Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B L E A V on YouTube.